calling all aspiring investment professionals. Get a leg up on the competition. Final registration for the August CFA exam ends on May 14th. Register now to secure your spot. The CFA designation is of gold standard in the investment world, opening doors to high-powered careers and impressive salaries. Head over to cfainstitute.org to register. Don't wait. Take control of your finance career today. Welcome to another edition of Take 15 of the CFA Institute. My name is Greg Seals, and today we're pleased to be joined by Jason Zweig. Jason is a columnist for the Wall Street Journal. Previously, he had written for Forbes and a number of other magazines. And he's also written a highly readable book called Your Money and Your Brain, where he looks at the neuroscience of investing, which we'll talk a little bit about today. Mm -hmm. So welcome, Jason. Yeah, great to be here, Greg. Uh, well, first off, um, talking about behavioral finance, maybe you could reflect a little bit on the growth of interest in this field, let's say over the last um, five to ten years. Yeah, sure. I didn't hear about it when I went to school right. uh, a, a number of years ago, mm -hmm. but now you hear a lot about it. So maybe you oh, could yeah. tell us a little bit about your involvement in the growth yeah, of the field. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I first got interested in behavioral finance in the mid-90s, um, just as I was leaving Forbes magazine to join Money magazine. And... Um, I attended a presentation up at Harvard, one of their behavioral finance seminars, and I just was instantly hooked because it really felt to me um, as if it filled a lot of the, not filled, but it, it attacked the missing links that had always bothered me in conventional financial economics. And um, you wouldn't say filled because no one ever has final answers to anything, but at least the right questions were being addressed. And what I've noticed over the years is just a huge upswing in interest, particularly among practitioners. And unfortunately, I think behavioral finance is still misused in a lot of ways. What most um, investment managers want out of behavioral finance is teach me how to take the other side of the trade from all the idiots. Mm -hmm. and. What behavioral finance really is all about is reminding each of us that we're all idiots. And none of us is perfectly rational in the conventional sense. And what I would like to encourage people to think of behavioral finance as is not as a window to look out onto the world and sort of see the parade of fools going by, but rather use it as a mirror and look in the mirror and ask yourself, is that a fool looking back at me? And why does he look so much like me? <laughs> because that's what it's really useful for, not helping us beat the other fools, but helping us try to avoid some foolish mistakes that everyone can make. Right, well that's fascinating. Um, talking about behavioral finance in the context of uh, the financial crisis that we've just been through, you know, we've. Uh, we've had a lot of um, you know, institutions that have been around for 150 years that vanish in a few days and um, you know, uh, obviously a tremendous amount of upheaval, upheaval to the point where the government has to step in and back a lot of these institutions. So there's been you know, obviously a breakdown in trust uh, between investors and investment managers of various stripes, institutional individual investors mm -hmm. um, and this is an area of your interest I know in behavioral finance so can you mm -hmm. tell us a little bit more about 
you know, what's going on, what needs to, to happen for this trust to be regained? Yeah, it's, it's very difficult, Greg. I mean, trust, uh, the image I always use is trust is like fine porcelain. Um, it's very easy to break and extraordinarily difficult to put back together once broken. And it's really been shattered system-wide, as, as you just described, and as I'm sure we don't have to go into in detail here. But the consequences can be very long-lasting. I mean, uh, investors can be willing to forget a lot of things, but in some ways they're like elephants, or like what people say about elephants, that they never forget. Uh, and if you go back and you look at the surveys that the Federal Reserve did in the 1940s and 50s, what you find is after the crash of 1929 in the U.S., it was easily into the early 1950s before as many as a quarter of the households surveyed by the Fed were willing to say they would consider investing in stocks again. When people are that badly burned, they will not go back. And it's common knowledge that it wasn't until 1954 on a price-only basis that stocks regained their 1929 highs. But it's not common knowledge that people, that investors stayed that bitter and burned Mm -hmm. for that long. And my fear is that if we don't have a concerted effort among issuers and investment banks and money managers and everyone involved in the capital markets to try to restore trust, we will not have the participation of individual investors that the system needs. And you see that today in the IPO market. Mm -hmm. You see it in the cash flows in and out, primarily out of mutual funds. Mm -hmm. And one of the problems is that people can't blame themselves this time. That's a very convenient rationalization. It enables people to say, well, the system works, but I didn't understand how to play by the rules, so I got what I deserved. This time around, people really feel that the system failed them. And that's not how people felt in in 2000 to 2002, but it is how they feel this time around. And we still have not seen the concerted effort that we need to encourage people to trust again. Right. And what um, is there data that you look at to sort of reinforce your, uh, you know, some of your findings about trust in terms of fund flows and things like that? Um, well, you sure. Care to comment on? Yeah, I mean, w- what we've really seen in over the past 12 months or so is that um, you know individual investors have have essentially abandoned the U.S. equity market, with a couple of short periods of exception. And what people seem to be doing is they seem to be quite willing to invest in emerging markets, at least when returns are positive. Right. And it's almost as if what people are saying is, I'll invest there because I don't know much about them other than the fact that their returns are very high. And at least I don't know that they're bad the way I now suspect our companies and our issuers and our intermediaries are bad. And um, trust, once broken, is very hard to repair. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about... um, 
uh, one of the subjects we wanted to talk about was goals versus risk tolerance. You know, most of us who've had um, some sort of training uh, in finance, even people who haven't have been told this by advisors is, um, you know, in the past is um, think about your risk tolerance and then structure a portfolio which is consistent with your risk tolerance and investors have different risk tolerances. Um, and contrast that with a goals-based approach to investing and maybe you can talk about some of the problems with risk tolerances yeah. going through you know um, difficult periods as we have here in the last sure. couple of years sure. well you know one of the main findings to come out of behavioral finance research I, I think is that terms like risk tolerance really should be abandoned uh, I, financial advisors would very much like there to be something called risk tolerance. And risk tolerance is often discussed in the same way we talk about eye color mm -hmm. or hair color. It's, uh, well, right, nice <laughs> uh, let's, <laughs> let's try eye color. <laughs> um, it's, it's, a, it's a permanent property. I mean, your eyes are brown, my eyes are blue. Um, your eyes will probably always be brown and mine will always be blue. Therefore, you should have a brown-eyed portfolio, I should have a blue-eyed portfolio. And similarly, we talk about people who are conservative, moderate, or aggressive in risk tolerance. There is no such thing. There really isn't. It's a fallacy. And it's mainly because the people's attitudes, beliefs, actions, and preferences are not determined purely by who they are but also by what situation they find themselves in. Mm -hmm. And each of us is the product of our genes, our childhood environment, our previous investing experience, our recent investing experience, and then a myriad of short-term influences, sights and sounds and um, the way investment options are framed, how things are presented to us. and uh, at any given moment, the same person can be extraordinarily aggressive and extremely conservative. And I would really suggest that the industry abandon the risk tolerance approach or at least try to persuade regulators that maybe having that as part of the suitability requirements isn't really very practical. Right. Because what it ends up happening in so many cases is advisors in conjunction with clients determine that a client has an aggressive risk tolerance, then the market goes down and then they learn the client did not have an aggressive risk tolerance. Right. What I would argue is the client didn't have a risk tolerance at all because it's not stable. Uh, neuroeconomics and behavioral finance show us that risk tolerance changes dynamically depending on the situation and you really shouldn't believe that this given person has this given tolerance for risk. It would only be true at certain times under certain conditions. Right. Well, I guess that's one of the foundations of traditional finance that's really being broken down in a way because the paradigm was, well, we understand how to measure risk. Mm -hmm. And so then if you understand how to measure it mathematically, then you can create, you know, you find the indifference curve mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. uh, from risk tolerance to a portfolio. And, and uh, we found out that that um, that frankly doesn't work all that well. Well, I think so. there I think there are people for whom a traditional measure like standard deviation may actually apply. 
Um, but there are many other people for whom it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And separating the ones for whom that's true from the ones for whom it's not is very important. And you can't do it with the conventional risk tolerance questionnaire that mm -hmm. people typically use because you're asking static questions in a rigid format at a predetermined time. You're not asking when the building is on fire and the market is imploding and smoke is coming out of the, out of the stock exchange and commentators are screaming on television. Then people who said they would be calm aren't calm anymore. Right. Well, I wanted to end this by um, talking about perhaps a few more practical applications of behavioral finance. You mentioned some early, and that is just you know an awareness and an understanding of our own um, um, biases and, uh, and our, the, the difficulty of, of being rational. Um, but what about some things that um, either private client managers or institutional managers might be able to take from behavioral finance to put to work? Well, I think there are a few very important practical tools and lessons that do apply. One is, while I don't believe that conventional risk tolerance tests work, there are a few things that do seem to work pretty well and that do predict behavior. One is you can judge how impulsive people are mm -hmm. or in t more technical terms, how, steep, how steeply they discount future reward. So you can ask, you can titrate that with people. You can give them, you can offer them a choice between $100 today and $110 tomorrow, a week from now, three months from now, six months from now, a year from now, et cetera, et cetera. You see where the lines cross you ask them a whole series of questions comparing a present reward with a future reward and you'll be able to create a curve, a discount curve for that mm -hmm. person that will tell you how patient that person is likely to be mm -hmm. over time. That's a very important tool that I think is underutilized. Mm -hmm. uh, another thing that I believe is very important is tracking the road not taken. I sometimes call this the difference between the hold portfolio and the sold portfolio. So if, for example, you are uh, an investment management consultant picking hedge funds for endowments or uh, selecting money managers for a 401k plan, it would be very important for you and your clients for you to have an awareness of what happens to the managers you fire after you fire them. If you're an active securities manager and you're picking stocks or bonds, you should be doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And then maybe one final simple point is as a way to combat hindsight bias or the belief we all have that we knew what the future would hold when it was still the past, uh, you should track all your forecasts. Mm -hmm. And you should also track your clients' forecasts, either with their permission or without, and um, you then should be willing to be held to that. And you also have the option of showing them what they said they believed so that when they beat you over the head saying, how come you didn't see this coming? Right. You're then able to say, well, did you see it coming either? Right. And those are a few simple tools that I think can help, although there, there are obviously a lot more um, practical steps that come out of the research. Great. Thanks so much for your thoughts today, Jason. Yeah. Thank you, Greg. Great to be with you. Thanks again for joining us on this edition of Take 15 at the CFA Institute. Copyright 2010, CFA Institute.
No part may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, electronic, mechanical, recording, or otherwise, without the express prior written permission of CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.